Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Thank you. I'm just kidding. Praise God. Amen. Listen, if you can't be excited when you're on your way to heaven, hallelujah. When I was an insane sinner, I was excited and I was about to die and lose my soul. Now I'm a child of God. I'm going to be excited. Can you say amen? You have your Bibles tonight. The wonderful book of John, chapter 14, possibly one of the most wonderful and glorious promises that you and I have in all the Bible. The book of John, chapter 14 and verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Father, thank you for the promise of heaven. Thank you tonight, Lord God, for the promise tonight that one day you are going to come again and Receive us to yourself, God, that we may live with you, Lord Jesus, forever and ever. Oh, God, keep your people tonight until that day. We thank you, Lord God, for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said with a shout, amen. I was in Sydney, Australia. I was talking to a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine. We were having lunch, and he began to share a testimony with me about a man that he knows by the name of Ali. Ali became a Christian while he was living in Iran. Now in Iran, if you get saved and they find out that you've become a Christian, one of the things that can often happen is they will come and they will take you, and many times you are never seen or heard from again. Ali and a number of his friends gave their life to Christ. They began to live for God. They were found out. Ali and his friends were captured. They were taken by the Iranian, I don't know if it was the authorities or just these insane Muslim groups. Ali's friends have never been heard from again. The only reason why Ali survived is he was able to convince them, if you let me go... I will go and find where the other Christians are and I'll come and tell you so you can go get them. They let Ali go and immediately afterwards they realized that he had no intentions of ever doing that. And so a little while passed and they begin to put a plot together to come and take this man and his family and do God knows what. And so Ali had to escape from Iran. He had to flee Iran for himself and his wife and his family. So what they did is they came in contact with some people smugglers and got these people smugglers and what they did, they were able to smuggle them out of Iran. They paid a very, very 
exorbitant price for a ticket to fly from Iran to Malaysia. When they got to Malaysia, they had to run. They had to go through some other things. But a part of this journey, they had to go five miles through the jungles of Java. You're talking about a man, his five-year-old son and his wife. After the trip through the jungle, they got in a passenger van and they were in this van for some nine hours with blacked out windows, no stopping for food or bathroom, none of these things. Because how many know people smugglers do not, are not concerned about your comfort? They care about the money. They were taken down to the ocean where they got on a very small uh, fishing boat. They took this fishing boat out into the middle of the ocean where they got on a larger vessel that was smuggling people. They eventually ended up off the coast of Australia. They were there for a time on one of the islands. Uh, Ali did his paperwork and eventually him and his wife and his son were accepted into Australia as refugees. Uh, and today, Ali is serving God in our fellowship church there in Sydney, Australia. Hallelujah. The pastor was sharing this story with me. I began to talk to him because I was reminded of when I was growing up in Miami. I was born in Montego Bay, Jamaica. I came to America at the age of 11 in 1987. I moved to Miami at that time. What was happening is, I believe it was the height of Fidel Castro's insanity. And so what you'd, was happening is on a daily basis, thousands of these precious Cuban people were showing up on the shores of Miami's beaches, some of them in homemade life rafts. Some of them were in inner tubes and, you know, these, these vessels that wouldn't have been safe on a lake. And yet they were putting it on the ocean and coming across, listen, one of the most dangerous bodies of water in all the world is Florida because of all the sharks. And yet these people by the thousands we're showing up on the beaches of Florida, and this is the reason. It's the same reason tonight why Ali and his wife and his son did what they did. It's because something in their hearts, somehow these people were saying, the place where I dwell, the place where I live, it is full of violence and crime and death and persecution and all kinds of wickedness and violence but some way somehow they looked over the horizon and they said you know just over the horizon is another city I know there is a city over there where I can find some peace just over the horizon is a city where I don't have to suffer and struggle just over the horizon there might be a city where I can live and love and and because of that dream, because of that vision, Ali and these precious Cuban people were willing to brave it all. Were willing to risk it all. Because something inside of them said, I don't care what it takes, what I've got to do, I am going to do my best to reach that city. Oh, church, when I heard Ali's testimony, and I thought about those Cuban people. The thought that came into my mind and into my heart is, oh, that God's people would have that same attitude concerning the city that waits for us. 
Oh, that we would have the attitude that says the place where I live, it is full of crime and violence and perversion and wickedness and evil. But I know tonight that there is a city. There is a city where I can find some peace. There is a city where I can find some joy. There is a city where I ain't got to worry about my life. A city where I don't have to worry about sending my kids to school and some crazy somebody messing with them I know that there is a city where my God dwells a city that is going to be filled with laughter and joy and like Ali like those Cuban people we would say I don't care what I've got to do I don't care what it takes I am going to reach that city oh church if that would be your attitude Concerning the city that waits for us, it would completely and totally change the way you live for Jesus. Church, if you and I were to develop the attitude tonight that says, I don't care what I've got to do, I am going to reach the golden city. Everything about your Christianity would change, but there's a couple, two, three things that I believe would absolutely change immediately. One of those things is we would have to develop the attitude that Moses developed or the get the heart that Moses got. I want you to think with me for just a second about Moses' story. You know the story. You've heard it before. Picture the scene. You, you guys know by now I, I like to paint pictures the way I think. I, I see the Bible in pictures. I see it. I see it happening. Are you with me? So forgive me if I'm a little crazy. I, I, I like to see it. So picture the scene. One day, I don't know if it went like this, but, but in my imagination, it went like that. One day, Moses is out with his little other little Pharaoh brothers, and I don't know what they They didn't have no football back then, so maybe they're playing rock ball. I don't know. They're throwing a rock around, and Moses throwed a rock, and his other little Pharaoh brother throwed a rock, and somebody didn't catch the rock, and the rock fell and rolled on the ground, and one of the little Hebrew slaves was out there and Moses said, hey, little Hebrew slave. Yes, your majesty. Go get the rock. Bring it back to me. Hebrew slave running in. Pick the rock up and he, he come back and he's handing it to Moses. And when he hands it to Moses, Moses look at him and go, wait a doggone minute. He's beginning to think, how come I look more like you than I look like my brothers? Something's wrong here. Called his mama. Mama! Yes. Mama, I got a question for you. What, what is it, Moses? Mama, I was looking at one of these little Hebrew slaves out here. And uh, I'm noticing something here. The older I get, the more I'm, I'm noticing. I, I look more like the slaves than I look like you and Grandpa. Uh, something's wrong, Mama. She said, well, Moses, <laughs> I got to tell you a little story. <laughs> um, you're really not Egyptian. I know you got the makeup on and all that crazy stuff. But, but well, what? Well, Moses, what happened was, one day my daddy, he was tripping. He was like really tripping. He was like, you know what? I'm going to kill all the little male babies in, in Israel. I just, they growing too much. I'm going to kill all the little male babies. And I, I was down with my girls down by the river. We're taking a bath and we're chilling. And all of a sudden, this basket's come flowing down the river. And I looked in the basket and I saw it was the most beautiful baby we'd ever seen. And I was like, oh, my God. I don't have no kids. I might as well keep this baby. And so I took the baby and, I, you know, I kept it. And Moses, that's you. You really not Egyptian. You're actually a slave. 
Bible says. When Moses became of age, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than all the trinkets and treasure. Listen, church, you, you, you got to be practical here. Moses had a choice. The choice was, I could be Pharaoh's grandson or a servant of God. This is the choice. I could have all the trinkets and the treasures of Egypt. Now, you got to remember something. Pharaoh in Bible times was one of their gods. They worshiped the Pharaohs as one of their gods. That means Moses was the grandson of God. Oh, come on, church, y'all. That means that brother had some money. Could have anything he wants. All the horses he wanted. All the chariots. All the friends. All the parties. All the bling, 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 bling. Oh, y'all don't know what the bling is. I, I, neither do I. It just sounds good. On this hand, he's got the world. On this hand, he has a promise. Moses said, according to the Bible, later for the world and all of its trinkets and all of its treasure and all of its passing pleasure because there is nothing that the world can offer that could even compare to the promises of God. Yes, it might offer some pleasure. Yes, it might offer a little. But you know what? All those things are passing. The promise of God is eternal. And the Bible said, he said later for the trinkets. Want the promise. Oh, church, if you and I are going to reach the golden city, we're going to have to make that same decision. You know what? You know what? There's nothing down here that's worth losing what my father has promised me. Ain't no trinket, ain't no treasure. Ain't no pleasure, ain't no boy, ain't no girl, ain't no man, ain't no woman, ain't no job, ain't no friends, ain't no family. Do I need to go on? Or are y'all good? There is nothing down here that's worth losing that glorious promise. Another thing that would immediately have to change tonight, church, and this one's critical is the way that you and I view and the way we deal with the violations and the afflictions and the things that people do to us, the way we deal with bitterness and unforgiveness. I want you to listen to this real quick. Mark chapter 11 verse 25 says, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Listen to this. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Church, listen to me. I refuse to allow someone to hurt me on earth, break my heart, hurt me to where it brings tears and sadness and suffering, and then hold bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart and allow them to rob me of heaven. Nobody should have that kind of power. Oh, come on. Do you know, listen, do you know that when you hold bitterness 
and unforgiveness in your heart, you are not only giving the person who you're bitter at power over your life today, you could be giving them power over where your soul spends eternity. Don't nobody deserve that kind of power except Jesus. And I told you last night all that he did to deserve it. That's why, listen, let it go. Let it go. It doesn't matter. But Pastor, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter. You know why God can say, if you don't forgive others, I'm not forgiving you? Because nothing that anyone did to us will ever compare to what we did to him. And he on the cross, in the middle of it, he said, Father, forgive them. No one will ever do you like we did his son. And he forgave us immediately. That's why he has the right to say, if you don't forgive, what right do you have to ask me to forgive you? One man says, the only people who will be allowed at the table in the golden city are those who are forgiven and those who have forgiven. Church, I choose to let it go. Because the last thing I want to get in my way is how crazy and wicked you are. Can you imagine getting, can you imagine getting to the gate? You're feeling good. I'm like, I went to the door, Christian Center. I know I'm getting in. And you, you know, you at the gate, you're fixing your, I want to look good for Jesus. I don't know if Peter going to be at the day. Say, Peter, I don't know who's going to be at the door. How you doing? I, I, my name's in the book. I, no, it's not. <laughs> you better quit tripping. Peter, Rock, I don't care what your name is. Look again. I don't have to look again. Your name's not in this book, but there's another book over here. And right next to your name, it says, would not forgive. You can't get on, church. Don't give anybody kind of power over your life. Are you with me tonight? Let's consider for a moment our text. In our text, Jesus gives us this amazing promise. You can start back there. Hallelujah. Did my sister abandon me? Hallelujah. In our text, we have this amazing promise. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. Now, this scripture is actually drawn out of the Jewish wedding. The way that a Jewish wedding worked in Bible times and possibly in some places in the Middle East, it's still like this. The way that it worked is it would have to be first the two fathers that would have to agree to allow the bride and the groom to marry. Once the fathers agreed, one of the things that the bride, that the groom would often do as a way of proposing, he would take a glass of wine and he would take it to the the bride-to-be, he would take it to the, to the wife and he'd offer her the glass of wine. If she took the glass, she drank from it, she was saying, I accept your proposal. If he was ugly and crazy, she'd be like, uh-uh, pour the wine on. We know what happened then. Brother man would be sad and go home. Most of the time, that didn't happen. She'd take the glass and she drank from the cup. Once she drank from the cup, what she was saying was, I accept your proposal. The moment sister girl did that, brother man would get real excited because it means uh, they were married. It means uh, they were betrothed to be married just without the marriage being consummated. Once she said yes, he would immediately leave uh, everything and run back to his father's house. 
he began to build either he would build an addition on his father's house or he would build a separate house for him and his bride. Now church, once he was done building, it didn't matter if it was three o'clock in the morning, he was coming to get his bride. He'd been, who knows how long he'd been, it depends on how quick he built. He was coming to get sister girl and the way they did it, the way they did it. Now you got to remember in Bible times there was no uh, 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 Phoenix Cardinals or Diamondback. They didn't have none of that. It wasn't a World Series. In Bible times, the biggest event was a wedding. And everybody was invited. The village, you with me? Whenever people were getting ready to be married, folks would be excited. Oh, so-and-so is getting married. It means we're going to have a party. And if you ever read the Bible, them folks like to party. Their parties, their festivals lasted for days. You with me? And so, hey, they whispered, so-and-so is getting married. Yeah, everybody's invited. So what would happen? Once the groom was done, the word would start spreading. Hey, the groom is almost done. He's on his way. People would start, and once the groom got done, he would have a best man, and his best man, what he would do, he'd come down announcing, hey, the bridegroom cometh, meaning y'all need to get ready because he's going to get the bride. And the bridegroom, he'd, look, he'd be looking sharp, church. He'd be walking down, and he's just looking good, and he walk, and now the bride, the bride would be down here by her daddy's house. Like, oh, my God, he's coming. That's what the bride would do. She'd be waiting, he'd come, he'd gather her up, and when he leaves, there would have been a procession of all the people invited, and they would go back and have a wedding feast, and the party would last, and Lord knows how long. First miracle Jesus did was at one of these parties. <sighs> that scripture was drawn out of a Jewish wedding, but a Jewish wedding has actually always been a picture of salvation. This is how that works. That's where they got, they got it from salvation. It was the father who decided that the bride should marry the groom. He just happened to be the same father, so he didn't have to go very far to agree. You follow me? He's he the father of us. And you follow me? You follow me? Okay. Wine in the Bible has always been a picture of the blood of Jesus. When Jesus opened his arms on Calvary's cross... He was proposing to the world. He was offering all those who live down here to say, listen, if you accept my proposal, you can be a part of the bride. Oh, come on, somebody. The Bible says we are right now, according to the text, in the building phase. Right now, as we speak, he's, Jesus said, I am right now in my Father's house preparing a place for you oh church that day is coming when we're going to hear the sound of the trumpet the bible says for the lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of an archangel can you imagine god shouting oh come on listen i don't believe when god created the earth he shouted because he's god he probably just whispered because he's God. And his voice carried to the ends of the planet. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Forget. His voice carried to the ends of the universe. The Bible says when it comes time for him to come get his bride, he's going to shout. What I think is going to happen is if you're saved and you're right with God, it's going to be the most wonderful, beautiful thing you've ever heard. But if you're not, it's going to scare you to death. 
so be saved. He's going to come. He's going to gather up the bride. All those invited. And we are going to go back and have a party like you have never seen before with lots of chicken. Got to be more. Church. There's no way God's going to give us something as good as chicken and not have it in heaven. That's just, that's just my thought. That's just my thought. That's just my thought. Now, I want to consider with you for just a moment the city that's being prepared. Listen to these words. Revelations 21, beginning at verse 14. It says, the city shimmered like a precious gem. Light-filled, pulsating light. She had a wall majestic and high with 12 gates. Revelations 21, 15 through 27, the wall was jasper. The color of glory, this city was pure gold, translucent as glass. The foundations of the city walls were garnished with every precious gem imaginable. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh sherylite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the 11th jacinth, the 12th amethyst, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate a single pearl. That's some big old clams, but that's another sermon. The main street of the city was pure gold, translucent as glass. Verse 23, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Church, oh my goodness. Church, the Bible says the city that our God is building for us was made of pure gold. That's beyond our ability to even, to even grasp. Are, are you with me? The walls of the city was made, the Bible says, of every precious stone. Do you know the kind of things that people do on planet earth for diamonds and Jewels and, and gold. Hallelujah. Do you know that there are people right now losing their lives for just a few ounces of gold? There are people right now risking and losing their lives for, 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 for tiny little diamonds. And the Bible says in the city where we're going, it's building material. It's sheetrock and asphalt. I'm pray I said, God... Why did you use those things as building? And, and it's almost like the thought that came back to my heart was there are things in heaven so precious and so magnificent and so glorious that the things you hold precious and dear on earth doesn't even compare. They, they can't even. The things that men die for here, the things that they give their entire life just for a He said, listen. Up here, those things have no value because of the things that are here. That's going to blow your mind. Church, I want you to think about I know you were wondering why we had them pictures up. I just wanted you to see the handiwork of God. Okay, can you put the pictures back? Did she, did she disappear on me with the, the computer? Did she break the computer? Don't break the computer. Get me in trouble. Church, it took our God five days and he wasn't even really trying oh my god five days just just imagine five days in five days look look at some can you go to that one i told you look at, look at, can you look at just look at a couple of these and if you see a really nice one go wow can you help me out no. 
Go to that, go to that one that I, I said is just like, wow. Five days. Look, look, look at God. Look at God, church. Look at God, church. In five days. The Bible says uh, he spoke, let there be light. And out of nothing came light. He spoke mountains, spoke the ocean, spoke the valleys, spoke the rain. Five days. If our God can do that, and, and we've pretty much ruined most of it. Planet, listen, planet Earth is a gloriously gorgeous place. If you've ever been to places like Sydney, Montego Bay, Jamaica, where I was born, the most amazing place on the planet is Cape Town, South Africa. Cape Town is like, it's, it's a different world. Because in Cape Town, I mean, a little bit. You know, in Cape Town, you can drive and you're on, you're, you're on an ocean and there's beautiful white sand, there's palm trees. You almost think you're in the Caribbean. Get in your car, drive 10 more, 15 more minutes. Now, you're at a different ocean. Big old giant boulders and penguins. The little bird with the tuxedo. Get in your car. Drive 15 more minutes and now you're back in Africa. There's a mountain there called Table Mountain. Up and down the mountain are running all these wild... It is an amazing... Five days. Sydney, Australia. One of the most beautiful places on the... Five days. Church, if our God can do all that in five days without trying, can you fathom what he can do with 2,015 years and nine months? Can you fathom? The Bible says, planet Earth, you can stop with the pictures. You can turn the lights on. The Bible says planet Earth was created. You with me? But in our text, Jesus says, the place I'm building for you is going to be prepared. There's a big difference between created and prepared. I'll give you an example. Where I live right now in Texas, this builder bought a big old giant plot of land. And he put 300 houses on it. Those houses were created. Now, don't get me wrong. They're nice, but they're created. There was no, not really any thought with just a floor plan. All of them are the same. He might have turned one sideways and turned one to the left, put the garage. They're all the same. Those houses were created. But just up the road from where I live is a city called Belton. It's on a little mountain. Sits on a, like a little hill overlooking the lake. The houses up there, they weren't created. They were prepared. Even the very grass in those yards are manicured. Nothing's out of place. They took time, the gates, everything, because someone took their time to intricately design. There was heart. There was thought put in. Listen, the Bible says Jesus right now, the master builder, unlike any builder in the world, is preparing a, a place for us in a golden city. Why would you allow anything to get in your way? One man said, when you consider that the creator of creativity is preparing something for us, there's no way you can fathom how glorious it's going to be. Jesus himself said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, beloved, our God even right now, he says, listen, in my father's house are many mansions. Aren't you glad he didn't say in my father's house are many cheeky huts? Mansions. He says, I'm preparing something for you in that house. 
recently, and I close, a friend of mine shared a story with me. He said he got a call from a man who'd been backslidden for many, many years. He said, all, uh, just out of nowhere, this man calls him. This man was a high-ranking sergeant in the U.S. military. He called him. He said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. I want to get saved right now. My friend was taken aback. He's saying, hey, you know, I haven't, heard, I haven't heard from you in like 20 years. And out of nowhere, you find my, that was fine. I'll pray for you. He said, but, but, but what's going on? What's brought this on? He said, Pastor, right now we're in the hospital with my mother. My mom's getting ready to die. She's laying on her deathbed. The doctors say that we're literally just waiting for her heart to stop beating. We're all here, all her family, all her children are gathered. He said, Pastor, my mom's laying on the bed unconscious. He said, all of a sudden, my mom opens her eyes and she looks up at us and she said, it's more beautiful than I told you. It's more beautiful than I told you. It's more beautiful than I told you. And then she went back to sleep. He said, Pastor, the reason why I had to call you after that, he said, because when we were children, when we were little, my mother would never let us go to bed without telling us how beautiful heaven was going to be. He said every night she'd gather us around and tell us how beautiful heaven was going to be. He said, Pastor, I know God just gave my mom a glimpse and she had to come back to say, my children, I was wrong. It's more beautiful than I told you. It's more beautiful than I told you. It's more beautiful than I told you. He said, Pastor, I got to get saved because I want to go to that city where my mother's going. Oh, church. Listen to what God says and we'll pray tonight. Revelations 21. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. For the former things have passed away. I told you Sunday morning, the thief on the cross. Jesus says today, you'll be with me in paradise. And that was God restoring us to what was lost when man sinned. Well, church, in this portion of Scripture, Jesus is saying when the restoration process is finished, the city where you're going to live is more wonderful, more glorious, more amazing than even that garden that I first created for Adam and Eve. And One day, you're going to be fully restored. You know what the main thing in that text is that where I am you may also be he wants you and I to be with him forever don't let anything get in your way and stop you from reaching that city bow your heads with me tonight heads about eyes are closed just for a moment